came down with COVID, is suing. We just have 20 seconds. What is this lawsuit? This lawsuit, this habeas, is just saying that hospitals are quickly, are not equipped to deal with this pandemic. There's no way a prison can. And as Juan said earlier, um, this is this is a situation where the prison cannot keep people safe. So people need to be released so that they can safely isolate and quarantine and um, flatten the curve of this, this virus. Well, I want to thank you so much for being with us. We'll continue to be on the story. James King, state campaigner for the Oakland-based Ella Baker Center for Human Justice and a member of the Stop San Quentin Outbreak Coalition. That does it for our show. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Stay safe. Save lives. Wear a mask. It is 8 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. It's time for the Abe and Joe Talk Radio Show with your hosts, Joe and Abe. Stand by for your community connection. Holy hey, good morning. Smoke. Holy smoke, indeed. I, I, it, it's, it's all so weird and so dramatically awful, and I know I must be cheerful and inspire people to carry on and struggle on and win and all that, but I also have to say it is KBOO, 90.7 FM in Portland, Oregon. This is the Abe and Joe Talk Radio Show. That's Abe Proctor. I'm Joe Uris, and the number to call is 231 8187 uh, I understand uh, from my training in nonviolence and stuff that having uh, having despair is uh, a defeatist, and now there's no real purpose to it except self-indulgence. I understand that. But still, my God, how much more crazy can we stand? And on that note, <laughs> I'll ask you, Abe, how much more crazy can we stand? Well, before I answer that question, um, perhaps first I'll say uh, that this is the Abe and Joe Talk Radio Show on KBOO 90.7 FM, reporting uh, for you remotely, as we have been from the uh, onset of this pandemic. Um, the station could use your support uh, more these days than ever, so if you have the time and you have a few extra shekels, uh, log on to www.kboo.fm and hit the donate button, because we could use your support. We really could. It's, it's, it's like every small business, and particularly nonprofits, this is a bad time. Yeah, indeed it is. Um, so uh, every one of your dollars goes a long way towards helping us stay on the air. So that said, to get back to your question, Joe, how much more of this can we stand? I don't know how much more of this weirdness we can stand, but I can tell you that things are going to get a whole lot weirder. Why is before, that? Before they start to unweird themselves. Well, because um, we're looking at um, another extended period of a largely locked down United States economy, and more importantly, a locked down United States um, social fabric, uh, for lack of a better term. We weren't able to accomplish what we needed to do the first time we shut this country down at the beginning of the onset. We did not have the discipline, uh, we did not have the political will, and we allowed uh, matters of science to be co-opted by the social and political divide that has riven our country, such that healthy 
scientifically sound, uh, medically beneficial behavior was marked as partisan and therefore not engaged in by a healthy chunk of the electorate. What I'm trying to say in short is that some parts of the country were on board with what needed to be done in terms of social distancing and locking down. Others were not. Uh, we've talked about this ad infinitum on this radio show. The consequences of what has happened to those parts of the country, particularly those red states who decided to reopen their economies early, we are now reaping that bitter harvest in terms of uh, more daily COVID-19 cases, uh, more deaths. Projections now indicate that we could be somewhere in the neighborhood of 300,000 COVID-19 deaths in this country by December. This is an absolute, hang on, let let me wrap this up here. This is an absolute and unmitigated disaster. We have to go back into a second lockdown. We have to do it thoroughly, comprehensively, and in a disciplined uh, fashion. And we have to use that window of opportunity to do the thing we failed to do the first time, which was to put into place a system for testing and then a, 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 a parallel system for tracking those people uh, who test positive for the virus. This is the only route back to something approaching normal life in our country. This is the route that other countries who are resuming something approaching normalcy have taken. This is what we have to do. Now, I want to refer everybody to a very, very important uh, op-ed piece in the um, New York Times. It appeared over the weekend um, by a couple of people uh, from Illinois, one of whom is a um, a uh, public health specialist. The other is the head uh, of the Chicago Bank of the Federal Reserve. An odd combination? Yes. But their perspective uh, is incredibly clear on what needs to be done, and it is backed up by sound medical and economic data. We have to do this again, and we have to do it right this time. I'm taking a deep breath and and trying to find something amusing in this, and I and I, I'm close, I'm close, not quite over the edge of the amusing part. But my partner and I were walking around in Portland, uh, in the in the streets of this city, and we came upon several lawn signs, not just one, but several, which said, um, you know, vote for Biden, he won't inject you with uh, chlorine. <laughs> That's how low the bar has been set. That's how low the bar has been set. <laughs> now, this has nothing to do with, with whether or not uh, any any given candidate should be president. I want to be clear on that. However, it is ironic that that is actually a, a conceivable idea as well as being funny. We are in dire straits. We have, as as leadership, people who don't know nothing about science, don't care to know nothing about science, and are only concerned with some kind of plastering over of the economy so and and uh, making things seem normal by putting kids into dangerous situations in schools by opening bars and so on and getting more of the virus into the public i mean there is nothing anything anything by this administration that makes any sense given the crisis we're in and to watch the the president <laughs> of the United States in front of his his cronies who, uh, what, pay thousands, thousands, thousands of dollars just to hang out in the same uh, golf club as him, uh, to watch them jeering the press and uh, being cheered on by Trump and, and, and for the most part not wearing masks and thereby demonstrating uh, the elite's uh, the absolute stupidity for their own safety, it just it's it just beyond my understanding at all. Do these people think that they are riding motorcycles in Sturgis or something? And I'm going to let it go with that. <laughs> I misinformed our listeners about the uh, origins of that op-ed. It is indeed in the New York Times, but the two gentlemen responsible are not from Chicago. They are from Minneapolis. Uh, one of them is Michael Ulsterholm. He's an epidemiologist there. And the other is Neil Kashkari, who is president of the Minneapolis Fed. Uh, read that op-ed. I think it spells out in stark terms what we need to do collectively as a society. But that said, it's unimaginable that these types of measures are going to take place as long as President Trump is still in office. Do you see this guy, Joe, orchestrating another uh, more disciplined nationwide lockdown and simultaneously putting into place the testing and tracking uh, regimens that we need? 
The only, I don't see that happening. The only thing I see happening, and I consider it actually not just a fantasy or fear uh, of paranoia, but a, a dawning reality, is that Trump intends to steal the election. He's already dis- destroying the Postal Service and arguing the mail-in ballots, which is the only thing to do in this kind of situation, are, are corrupt and not valid. He is creating a situation in which whatever the outcome of the of the election in terms of, of votes uh it won't matter because trump will argue that it doesn't matter and he will uh, go ahead since he doesn't pay any attention to law or the constitution and he will go ahead and proclaim himself president uh interim president for whatever the hell he wants well he can't really do that constitutionally we have safeguards in place well what do you mean he can't do that do you, do you imagine the yep. military will stop him uh, I imagine some sections of the military will stop him. But the safeguards that I was talking about, if we have, if there's no resolution to the election by the time Inauguration Day rolls around in, in January, the Constitution uh, states that the Speaker of the House will become the acting president. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I no. forgot that. Nancy Pelosi right. would be president. Not, that yes. would be weird. Not because it would be bad, but because Trump would go out of his mind. Well, he would go out of his mind, yes. She's not my choice for president, uh, but I'd certainly take her over Trump, absolutely in a heartbeat. Now, you're talking about a full-blown military coup. I have my doubts as to whether that or not you would get enough of the uniformed military to go along with that, uh, to make that actually happen, but that's, uh, uh, I don't, I'm not quite willing to contemplate that eventuality yet. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate your hope in the neutrality, I guess you'd call it, of the military. However, uh, they are they are also in a struggle, uh, which Trump is supporting, to build more nuclear weapons, to create more and more likelihood of the destruction of the uh, climate of the United States. I mean, this is we're in a lot of different kinds of crises. All of them major. All of them coming to a head right now, under the leadership of the of the not very comic clown. Indeed, and notice we haven't yet even mentioned. Uh, the massive movement uh, for racial and uh, social justice that is sweeping over the country. Still, I, we, you're right when you say we are at an absolutely unprecedented confluence of major historical trends uh, in our country. This will be a most interesting next few months <laughs> from wherever you're sitting. Well, uh, I want to go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you mentioned um, Trump's attempt to steal the election, and I think that's an apt way to frame it, because that is exactly what he's doing. He is trying to steal the election in broad daylight, right in front of us, and is practically daring the rest of the country to stop him. He has installed a crony as the new uh, postmaster general of the United States, uh, who is already going about um, ridding that department of its uh, institutional memory. He is saying that uh, all mail-in ballots are going to require a first-class stamp, instead of the bulk rate stamp that most jurisdictions use today who have mail-in voting. This is a a bald-faced, clear-as-day attempt to sabotage the Postal Service and, by extension, sabotage the coming November election. And it's happening in broad daylight. So I'm really, really concerned about, first, the political will, and second, the political ability of President Trump's opponents in the federal government to stop him. I agree. And, and meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the ranch, <laughs> the fact of the matter is that the environment is under serious attack. Uh, the uh, the fossil fuel industry, despite the enormous advances of wind and solar power, intends to keep its captured solar, I mean, its captured uh, poisons and so on. We expect that the climate will be continuing in the direction it's been going, that is, it's getting warmer. Uh, the ice fields are disappearing. No more, no more polar bears. You know, forget that. No more this and that and the other thing. And all of this is happening, even as the regular human world is going into a, an economic collapse and is being poisoned and dying of a virus that can theoretically kill a huge number of people if it's not handled right, and it's not being handled right. 
Yeah, you're right. It isn't being handled right. I was talking to you. I I have I I know it's a sin to despair, so I'm not going to despair. I'm just going to go oh and shake my head. Well, you know what? Um, I I don't necessarily agree to this sin to despair. I think anyone who's been paying attention to this situation with open eyes has uh, dipped his or her toes uh, into despair. despair. Yes, it's it's unavoidable. Anybody who's who's looking at this, you know, with any sort of uh, objective framework, can is forced to conclude we are in a heap of trouble right now. Uh, you just can't give in to the despair. You can't. You have to. You have to find a way to pull yourself out. You can't linger there. Well, but it's okay to it's okay to acknowledge it because it, this is a real thing. But a lot of people uh, are turning to the invisible God as a solution because they can't they can't deal with the fact that what's happening is so very awful and in the real world very very powerful you know what that and that's fine and i don't want to devote airtime to, to hatching that particular uh question out if, if people need to turn to faith right now to sustain themselves and to give them hope and to help them be motivated to do the right thing i have Why no not? problem with that Why i have not? no problem with that Why yeah. not? That, that's that's not the route that I choose, but if it helps people and it helps all of us by extension, absolutely. Well, I, I, my point, unfortunately, is that most of that does not help anything because it, it immobilizes us and makes us, uh, rather than taking action, uh, fall to our knees in awe of the invisible God. Sorry. Okay, be, be sure. So be that as it may, I don't, I, I don't want to... I don't want to let no, no, we don't want to have a theological discourse. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. Certainly not. Um, I, I do want to um, return one moment to that confluence of the pandemic and the Trump administration. I mentioned the op-ed by the, the two people from Minneapolis uh, about how we need to re-enter a period of lockdown so that we can finally get this virus under control. And I also mentioned that that's, you can't even conceive of that happening under a Trump administration. So this means, in very stark terms, and I want everybody to sit with this and consider the consequences. If Trump is successfully able to game this election such that he retains office, we are going to move into the new year with no clear plan to control this viral outbreak, which means that it will continue to spread more or less unabated throughout the country until we achieve something like herd immunity here. But by the time that happens, we will have lost millions of our fellow Americans. Well, you mean the thing isn't going to just disappear magically? No, no, Joe, no. Oh, oh. No, and you know that. You know that. And I understand you're, I you're, I understand you're making a joke. I understand you're making a joke. And, you know, humor is also a helpful means to cope with all of this. But I want everyone to sit with this possibility now, that if this guy retains his office, not only will he avoid the consequences of his actions that are long overdue in, in a legal way, but he will doom the rest of us to suffer through this pandemic for months and even years to come until the amount, number of dead are counted in the millions. Well, I, and I agree with you, of course, but I'm beginning to wonder exactly what are these large street protests about. Uh, I certainly think Black Lives Matter. I certainly think that African Americans have been, and others have been ill-treated, and I'd include, I'd include a lot of uh, Caucasians in that category, have been ill-treated by an overly authoritarian police structure. I agree that there is no reason not to redesign what is called policing to be a helping agency as well as an arresting agency. All that's real, but I don't see that happening as a consequence of people uh, rushing in to burn down buildings and, and, and destroying local businesses and making it harder for persons of color to make a living in the society in Portland, for example. Sounds to me like you're, you're judging a group of protesters by their worst actors. Well, I'm wondering who is, uh, what, who is that? Who are these, not the leadership, the leadership seems to me fine, but who exactly are these people who uh, are apparently taking a great deal of pleasure in making a misery for poorer people and uh, attempting to confront uh, armed authority uh, to no avail? 
I, I just don't. I'm, I'm losing my sense of exactly what's supposed to be happening here. I'm not against the demonstrations. I'm not against the desire to confront. I am against the uh, willful uh, uh, minorities that are definitely making things harder for ordinary people to exist in this society, and I include among those ordinary people persons of color. All right, so you're, you're saying you don't understand the actions of those uh, people who, um, while these larger protests are going on, spend their time uh, you're trying to set fire to the police union headquarters, for example, That's or a good try, example. To, try to break into the North Precinct, for example. That's uh, an excellent example. Who, right. Basically, who, who, people who express whatever it is they're feeling by uh, destroying property. You, you don't understand those people, and you feel that they are blunting the message and the momentum of the larger movement. Is that you're, a, some you're of what you're saying? You're saying so well. I don't need to okay. be here, hardly. Okay. All right. So I have, I have a few things to say about that. Is it helpful to the larger movement for black lives that uh, a relatively small percentage of protesters engage in, in uh, destruction of property? I would answer no. It's not helpful well, to the wait, larger. Wait, wait, wait! I want to know who's behind that. I don't. Think I don't know. I don't I think know. It's spontaneous. I'm now beginning to believe that this is an opportunistic effort by some very bizarre, almost cultish right wingers. And I know that the people doing it don't think that's happening. They think they're fighting for social justice, which makes it even more oh. scary. Well, it's. You know, is it possible that this is a, a this is a result of a coordinated action by some right wingers? Yes, I don't have any evidence to to say that. I don't think you do either. No, I don't. Right. So regardless of who's carrying out these these actions, the question is: Is it helpful to the larger movement? And I think the answer is no. I think we'd be better served if people weren't engaging in these types of activities. Now, as you mentioned, we don't know who these people are or why they're doing what they're doing. So it would be better if they would stop. It would be better if they weren't trying to set fire to buildings, they weren't breaking windows, or they weren't trying to gain entry into locked buildings, all these sorts of things. Let's stipulate to that. But whatever those acts of destruction of property or vandalism or arson or however you want to call, label them, regardless of those actions, they do not justify the sort of retaliation that we've seen in this city over the past several weeks. First at the hands of the Portland police, then at the hands of federal agents, who are still in town, by the way, and then again at the hands of Portland police. I don't care what you say, there is no moral equivalence between the use of state violence to snuff out the lives of people of color and the destruction of property. Those two things are not morally equivalent. The destruction of property does not warrant a violent crackdown on the protesters. No, no, I, 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 I don't, don't put me in the camp of urging a crime no, no. at all. I'm, I'm not putting you in that camp. I'm saying that I don't care what the Portland police are seeing or hearing out there. They do not have the liberty to inflict bodily harm and injury upon their fellow citizens, even well, if property is under assault. No, I agree, and I, I think that's, that's the essential beginning of this movement. Uh, with the murder, with, with the murdering of, of African American men and women, and, and I think that it's 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 high time that there was a, a identifiable rebellion against exactly what has been going on. We're talking 200 more years of violence done against people based solely on the color of their skin. Uh, I think that this is a, a outrage. It's always been an outrageous weakness in America, uh, a compromise made at the beginning, a devil's compromise that we paid for first with a civil war and then with a total repression of persons of color, uh, which continues to this day, <clears throat> and now in large part takes uh, form as terror by the authorities. So, I, you know, you and I really are on the same page here, but yeah. I'm, I'm concerned, uh, here's, what I, uh, here's what I really think. Martin Luther King uh, and others, many others, one who recently died, advocated nonviolent resistance. There were two reasons. Number one, it's on the side of the angels. So that's maybe abstract, you don't have to care about that. Well, yeah. But the other part of it is it's strategically effective. When you do not use violence against the violent, you come out ahead in the long run and even in the short run. 
You can look at the success of Gandhi. You can look at the success of Martin Luther King. You can look at all sorts of evidence for this. But it takes training. It takes discipline. It takes dedication. And I don't know that everybody's showing up in large crowds to uh, party, not party, I don't think that's the right word, but to, to make noise, uh, it, just to make noise, is going to settle this issue. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think, though it was a beautiful gesture uh, for a, a woman to be naked in front of the authorities, is, has anything, anything to do with the horror of what's really going on. I really, really disagree, but we'll leave that on the table for just a moment. Let's go to the phone. George, good morning. Good morning, Joe and Abe. Um, This may be a little bit away from what you were just mentioning, but it goes back to what you just mentioned before that a few times, which was about the environment and fossil fuels. And I remembered reading, I think it was an article in the Oregonian reprinted from one of the bigger, you know, city maybe like the L.A. Times or something a decade or more ago, that many people in California and other parts of uh, America who are very poor, including Hispanic people, African-American people, and just poor, plain white people, live too damn close to major freeways where they breathe enormous quantities of poisonous fuel fumes, and it impacts their health. And I was wondering, would you think that that would be a worthwhile pursuing in finding out what one of the things that might be going on in a, well, a major way with the, the COVID uh, sicknesses and death? Well, of course. <clears throat> but you know, here's <laughs> from my perspective. There are so many things going wrong and that have been building in, up in our <laughs> environment particularly literally in our physical environment, that we that we in order to make a movement that works, we have to be willing to peel back the bad things all at once, which is a very horrendous uh, task. Meanwhile, we don't have anybody anybody in leadership that is showing the power and the and the desire to recognize the larger horror of climate warming and at the same time to recognize the human costs and the human frightening uh, aspects of a repressive uh, racist society. I mean, it's, it's just a, 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 I almost said a naughty word, it's a <laughs> dash storm of bad. Yes. So you guys continue. I'm I'm going to hang up and listen because this is well. I don't know. I I think maybe I'm I'm ranting uh, to the convict to the uh, converted. I I just I don't know. I don't know. Hey, thanks for the call, George. Appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Gordon. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Um, so you guys were just saying that there was no proof that there was any people that were coming in and being provocateurs, and they did find. Uh, some white guys from Bugle Boys and stuff like that in Minneapolis and from different states. <clears throat> and I do believe that the um, the white supremacists are coming in and they're being provocateurs and they're instigating crime and they're instigating uh, danger through their actions. And, I mean, another case is the Umbrella guy that they just saw last week carrying the Umbrella and trying to start fires there. So... It's kind of weird how it's such a racial thing, but and it's sad, of course, because it's all usually white guys. And now you have like the situation where you go downtown and say, "Okay, we're all going to do our protest. We need to know who's here. We need to look at the white guys because they're the crazy ones that like to mess people up." You know, so it's it's sad that it's just a, it's a vicious circle. Well, well, it, it is it is true that if you look at perpetrators of domestic terrorism in this country over the past few decades, um, much more often than not, you're looking at a white guy. Oh yeah, yeah. And, crazy white and, guy. And no, that's that's true. And in fact, uh, didn't you just tell me about somebody tossing uh, bombs in uh, in Laurelhurst Park? Yeah, there were some pipe bombs over the weekend thrown at protesters in Laurelhurst Park. I, I want to get to that story in just a few minutes. So okay. let's hold on to that. Go ahead, caller. You know, Whitey's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, 
Let's leave it there. Thank you for the call. Why do you stress crazy? Uh, unfortunately, that, that phrase seems to apply far too often uh, in our culture. So to the, uh, to the Laurel Horse Park incident, and to give a little context, uh, in my mind, and I know in the minds of a lot of other uh, progressive supporters of the, the movement for black lives, um, there has been this fear in the background that at some point um, organized and <laughs> quite possibly well-armed uh, counter-protesters will show up and start to mix it up with the Black Lives Matter uh, demonstrators. That in, in essence, instead of having a, uh, a protesters uh, police uh, oppositional dynamic, you're going to have a protesters counter-protesters oppositional dynamic, which could get really ugly really fast and really violent really fast. I would just by so, the police cracking down. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, and it's... <laughs> It's anybody's guess which side the police would line up with if that were to happen. Uh, my money uh, is that they would support uh, the right-wing counter-protesters. And the reason I say that is because time and again in this city, when, uh, I'll take the example of Antifa, for example, when uh, Antifa has shown up and the Proud Boys have shown up down at the waterfront, just to give one example, the stance of the police, the deployment of the police, the the attitude of the police has been overwhelmingly directed toward the Antifa side of the equation. In other words, the police appear from all angles to be there to protect the Proud Boys well, from Antifa. That is the dynamic I've witnessed over and over again in this town. And on the national level, Barr yesterday, our so-called our so-called Attorney General. Uh, uh, essentially attacked all of this movement against Trump, uh, labeling it uh, a combination of, uh, I mean, I think he was using old-time terms like Bolsheviks and, and communists, and, and a language that was dead in the, in the politics of the country with the collapse of the Soviet Union. And essentially he's saying, yeah. he's equating all of these democracy-struggling, authentic groups, which I really, I really support, uh, with some kind of past uh, experience with a with a rotten uh, government in the Soviet Union, and and I have to add, the government that currently rules Russia is clearly engaged in a war, a propaganda war, and an economic war, and a and a war against uh, uh, fair elections in the United States at the last election, and is now going to try it again, and it has lots of money and has lots of access to media and it's trolling all the time and many many people are totally confused by all of this so you have a situation of chaos which is of course the, the thing that made it very easy for the Nazis to move in in Germany a situation of chaos and fear being uh, created by uh, an enemy nation and we don't have any any response by the by the authorities that is appropriate no, absolutely not. So the specter that is covered over all of this is, is whether or not uh, right-wing counter-protesters will become violently engaged with uh, Black Lives Matter uh, demonstrators. So over the weekend on Laurel Horse Park, we had an incident that may be, that may be just that. There were um, a small number of pipe bombs thrown out of the bushes towards a group of protesters in Laurel Horse Park, uh, a couple of which exploded. Uh, another of which did not, uh, which the protesters were later able to secure and hand over to police. Uh, so at the time that these pipe bombs were thrown out of the bushes, um, the, the protesters, many of whom had flashlights, were able to discern a figure in the bushes who was attempting to exit the area. Uh, he was followed and videotaped. He was seen to be carrying a, um, a helmet and a pair of military-style night vision goggles. And this guy has now, according to a report issued by Oregon Public Broadcasting, been identified uh, as a retired Navy SEAL uh, who is also a former contractor for the CIA. Now, I have to emphasize here that none of this is proven. Uh, we still have gaps in the, in the evidentiary chain to prove any of this, but these findings suggest that this guy threw these pipe bombs at the, at the demonstrators, and he himself is not affiliated with the police, but 
according to people who know him, uh, is a long time, um, has for a long time affiliated himself uh, with the right wing in this country. So that's scary stuff. And if we start seeing more of that, uh, it's just going to be one more level uh, of violence and chaos on top of this enormous sandwich we have before us as Americans right now. Well, and that goes back to my point uh, about the uh, the rise of fascism in Europe in the old days. If you create enough fear, enough chaos, enough threat to ordinary people's lives, and then on top of it have all these natural or incompetently handled things, you create a, a desire for order. When you create a desire for order, people will willingly surrender their freedoms to feel safe. And that's the direction I think this is all going. And, I'm, you know, whether or not Barr is a Nazi or whatever is irrelevant to that because it, he doesn't care. His whole task, and his, his dedication is to legitimizing the Trump machine. And that's what's going on at the, at the national level, even as the uh, environment changes, even as the terror of the, uh, of the virus goes on and on. And we know that there's going to be a huge rebounding of the virus because we know there hasn't been adequate testing, there hasn't been adequate tracing, there hasn't been any of the things that were done in most of the European countries that stopped the virus, or at least limited the virus, for for the present at least. Yeah, I, I would agree. <laughs> I, I would say even more than that, we are in the midst of the vast resurgence of the virus. We are living it right at this moment. Yeah. So this uh, this man who may have uh, lobbed these pipe bombs at protesters was identified as Louis Garrick Fernbaugh, as I mentioned, a retired Navy SEAL, former contractor for the CIA, and also, as I mentioned, uh, a longtime self-identified right-winger. He posted on social media in July, uh, this is during the height of the conflicts between federal agents, who are still in town, by the way, and protesters downtown. He posted on social media that he had infiltrated Antifa and was willing to show other people how to do the same. Um, given that Antifa is... <laughs> A very loose, very, yeah, very, yes, very decentralized and, and not really an organization in any sense of the word. I'm not quite sure how he infiltrated it. Maybe he went and stood next to some people who said they were Antifa. I don't know. Uh, but this brave patriot may have lobbed some pipe bombs at these uh, demonstrators. Yeah, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with identifying him only because I don't know. Well, I'm, I am uh, identifying him only because he was already identified in a piece of uh, what is presumably uh, edited and vetted journalism put out by Oregon Public Broadcasting. Okay. So if OPB feels willing to identify him, then I'm going to do the same. And if it turns out he's been misidentified, well, we will offer a retraction and an apology on our program. How's that? Okay. <laughs> okay. I guess. No, I, I also, I think that... that the creation, uh, the the uh, creation of these fighting forces, which has become a, a, a custom in this country, acceptable uh, apparently, which includes uh, sabotage, blowing up buildings. I mean, all the stuff that goes on has not yet been adequately addressed by the authorities. If there are conspiracies, and that's if there are conspiracies of it, of an enormous sort that are willing to blow up federal buildings and so on. And these are right-wing conspiracies, and they are calculated, to the degree that they're calculated, to create the chaos and the fear that can bring about an authoritarian government. Absolutely. And that, in the face of the, of the neo-fascist uh, 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 attorney general and the uh, doofus uh, king, uh, terrifies me. It all comes together in a... In a uh, a, a poo storm of, of horrible dimensions, even as, in fact, objectively, the environment is heating up and people are going to die and there's going to be terrible population movements and we're going to be flooded and so on. And I'm fighting against saying all this, but gee whiz, uh, maybe uh, the invisible God really is angry at us. Five zero three two three one eight one eight seven. I want to circle back to something you said a little while ago, Joe. Were you first? I, I think you contradicted yourself. So first, I want to give you. I always a chance contradict to myself. It's, it's I, I know you do. 
that's why you're still at home in a medium like talk radio. Okay. So earlier you, you talked about the principles of nonviolence and how important they are and yeah. how key they were to the victories won by um, African Americans during the civil rights movement. Um, and there was that large commitment to nonviolence that gave the movement the moral authority it needed. But it's also a tactic which, which disarms your enemy. It's really an important idea. Agreed, yes. But then a couple sentences later, you said you just didn't understand what sort of real effect that a bunch of people getting together and making noise and protesting was really going to have. So my question to you is, do you believe in the power of nonviolent action or don't you? Huh? <laughs> if you... Do you believe in the power of nonviolent action or don't you? I think I don't, if you did. I believe, I believe, however, that there is a reason to create training to uh, talk about, and that may even be happening because I'm, I'm admittedly ignorant in a lot of this, uh, to create a way of perceiving this process of struggle so that it doesn't become a, a what, a, a violent conflict. It's just not necessary. It is always going to be the case that the authorities, however, are going to be violent, and you have to be prepared to deal with that. And the only way to deal with it, I think, effectively, given the power relationship and who got the guns, is to definitely be nonviolent. I, I think it's both morally uh, important and tactically important. Uh, okay, good. Well, I'm glad to hear we are on the same page of that. We and, are. And, we are. That's why we do this show together, you know. Indeed. And, and to, you know, the, to answer the, I think, the implicit question you're asking, well, what good has all this done? Well, just here in Oregon, uh, the Oregon State Legislature just wrapped its, wrapped up its second special session in, in the last several weeks, uh, in which they addressed uh, limitations on the ability of police officers to use force against nonviolent demonstrators. Yes, I saw so, that. You're right. So progress there are things there. that are happening that are good. Yep. They are they not, also, they're not going to be allowed to choke people to death. No. Uh, they also addressed this issue in their earlier special session. And here in Portland, on the ballot this November, is going to be a referendum uh, to create a civilian oversight board for the Portland Police Bureau that will have teeth, that will actually be able to make changes, that will actually be able to remove officers who uh, continue to, uh, to use force inappropriately. This yeah. movement is leading directly to real change. Now, we have to see it through. We have to make sure it's institutionalized. But it is cracks in the ice are forming, is what I'm saying to you. Well, I, I think you're right. I, I, I tend toward despair and anger uh, in the face of all this. And, and, and I understand that that's been more emotion than rationality in many cases. However... There really, really, really is necessity for, for discipline and training if you want to build a movement that effectively changes things. Now, in terms of funding or defunding the police, there is no reason why you cannot have a public safety agency that includes people who will find a, a homeless person a place to stay or who will deal with a person in crisis rather than putting them in jail or, or choking them to death or something. These things are doable in our current environment with our current force. Our police are not idiots. Our police are, for the most part, people seeing themselves both as authority figures but also as servants of the people. And they are probably uh, reachable and willing to change what they do if it's more effective. I don't rule them out of the uh, game at all. I don't say you get rid of the cops. I don't think they're all evil men and women, I think what is happening in our culture is that we are still using the models of the old slave capturers, the models of a kind of vigilante mindset in our official police work, and we've got to change it. It's got yeah. to be changed. I, I completely agree. I, I think you can absolutely, with credibility, say that the police system in this country is functioning as designed. And when I say that, I mean it is there to preserve white supremacy. So th that really is at the root, I think, of any defund the police movement. And, well, and while we're talking that, about this... Beyond that, it's also important to understand it's there to preserve the power of the capitalist ruling class. Right, and which is, in this country, in this culture, the same thing. That is white supremacy. The capitalist ruling class are white people. Um, let's go to the phones. Robbie, you're next. Good morning. Are you there? <clears throat> Good morning. Good morning. What's on your mind? 
Oh, I, I love the topic. Uh, I'm really, uh, I, I actually wanted to say a few things. There's a big difference between a movement and a revolution. And you know what the, the difference is? No. The revolution comes back around. So that's what we're trying to do here. I'm not for a little bit of reform. What you just said is completely accurate. We've gotten so much change done by hitting the streets for 76 days now, the 76 nights or whatever it is, uh, maybe 75. I, you know, it's at this point, this is what's putting the pressure on the system. And there's a book that I highly recommend you read, Joe. Uh, it's um, How Nonviolence Protects the State. Uh, oh, I, I, I'll, I'll read that. I mean, I think that that's something I need to understand if, in fact, it's valid. And I, 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 actually, I absolutely think it is, and I'll tell you the reason why. I think we need to figure out what the what the definition of violence is, because a lot of times we get that caught up into what people see as chaos on the street. Which I think, if you read Chris Hedges' uh, Wages of Rebellion, he describes it very accurately. That you know. The same way Martin Luther King did, ironically, that, you know, protests and rallies are cries for help. Uh, there's a really interesting political cartoon in 1960 when Martin Luther King, well, actually, uh, I don't know what year it came out. You can, you know, if you Google search Martin Luther King racist, uh, you know, political cartoon, you'll, I'm sure it'll come up. But it comes up and it, it has Martin Luther right after a march and like the entire city is on fire. Cars are upside down. And then it says, what are you going to do now? And he's like, I think we'll do another march, you know, next week or whatever. And <clears throat> I think what's happening here is we're forgetting that the state, the media is portraying it as the chaos that we need to be against. And just those peaceful protesters are the right protesters. The moment we play that game, we're losing how protest works, which is causing this chaos, forcing the system to address it. So I think people need to realize that we can't play this game of good protester, bad protester. Although I do want to say that we should totally point out that that guy throwing the three pipe bombs uh, the other night, that was scary. And then also there is, I think, people associated um, with those, in, I don't know, th these right wings. They, it's, it's been weird because, you know, two years ago I was actually really concerned about the protesting because how the right wings, we were constantly at war with each other. Uh, it was, you know, the counter-protesters and the protesters, Joey Gibson constantly coming down August 4th. And uh, basically uh, what I've noticed is, you know, they've just infiltrated it. They've been coming down and they're just hiding. So I think we should be pointing them out where we can but I'll take my uh, answers off the air. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, one thing, I, I really love uh, Chris Hedges, and I've read, I think, just about everything he's written. However, I'm disturbed by the fact that now his main outlet, public outlet, is the uh, Russian uh, media. Uh, I guess it's because I'm guessing that it's a, a place that has offered him a home. But it, it really does disturb me. Because what I think Russia is up to is waging war by other means on the United States and the West. And I think that the, reasoning, the reason they're doing it is actually revenge for what we did not do and promised to do at the collapse of the Soviet Union, which was to neutralize Central Europe. And we didn't do that. We created an addition to the uh, Western uh, uh, nation effort to control the Soviet Union former Soviet Union. Um, yeah, I would agree with that, absolutely. I want to thank Robbie for the call. That was, that was a great call. And he further underscored, I think, the positive changes that the sustained uh, protest effort here in Portland has been able to bring about. Um, well, I, I, I want to add something that least I'd be thought a total fool. I understand that. I am not opposed to the demonstrations, per se. I am concerned that everybody in, in this engagement, who are, I think, quite sincere, are uh, unwilling or unable to organize disciplined action. I think there's some stuff happening, however, that points to a different and a better direction. But this is really urgent. It's really important that people use not restraint, but discipline in dealing with this very serious measure. 
the reason why I mentioned the woman, the, the naked woman, and here I, I'm going to get all weird, I think it would have been much more appropriate given... Oh, don't start out. <laughs> I think it would have been more appropriate given the nature of our culture if it had been naked men. You think? I think. Mm. Uh, because men look silly. <laughs> That's true, they do. They're, they're much more utilitarian, kind of like a Jeep, as they said on Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting into a weird area. I'm going to just let it go, please. So we can have we can have an entire show dedicated to um, naked Athena, as she has been come come to be known. There's a whole bunch of interesting issues at play there, like whether she was able to do what she did because uh, of the privilege of her skin color, because she was able to step in that space because of what she looked like. It's an endlessly fascinating topic, but one we can't really dig into. Well, today. it's not really that important. I just you know. no. Uh, not no, but it's fascinating nonetheless. But I, I want to uh, again get back to what Robbie was saying about the the manifest good that is kind of the protest movement here for us. I think it's even showing up uh, sort of in ex extraneous ways. Uh, we have a new district attorney in Multnomah County who is, I think, about as progressive as a district attorney could possibly be. And we saw over the weekend that uh, Demetria Hester, she's been a leader in the in the Black Lives Movement for a long time, even before this wave of protest broke out. She was wounded. Uh, in 2017 in the Max Train attacks uh, here in Portland, a horrible act of white supremacist violence. Uh, she was arrested over the weekend when um, Portland police declared a riot, and uh, she, she was released yesterday, uh, and the Multnomah County DA uh, declined to press charges. So if this is any indication of our new DA and, and how he intends to uh, handle arrests related to the protests, I think that um, we might even have an ally there uh, in the judicial system. So that's reason for hope. Granted, he's new to the job. His track record has yet to be uh, established, but this is, a, I think, a positive early result. Well, knowing the history, as I do, uh, having written a book about it, knowing the history of how uh, police and uh, corrupt elements, both within and outside of the police, have operated in Portland, Oregon, through its history, I think that this is a hopeful sign. I don't know the guy. I don't know his intentions. The one act of, of uh, intelligence does not a better regime make. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, all right, let's go to Mark. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I'm hoping you might, you might comment on these two news reports. Robert Reich, a former uh, Secretary of Labor, and uh, a very frequent contributor to Facebook, has, has uh, emphasized that American taxpayers have spent $107 billion more on the police than on public housing. Isn't, isn't that a bizarre uh, well, reality a in, in these last It's very bizarre, and it's a good point. Well, very good point. Yeah, it's our, our whole budgetary, our decision-making process is corrupted. Uh, I don't know whether the police are given nuclear weapons, it's totally absurd because public housing... No, 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 let's be clear. The police are not going to be given nuclear weapons. Oh, he knows that. It's, it's hyperbole, Joe. Public housing is security. You know, if, if you want a safe and prosperous society, you, you don't leave things to the market. Now, the, the other news report was from the Orlando Sentinel, 521, titled Thriving Companies receive hundreds of millions in COVID relief. And, and I'm wondering whether people have read this, that Mar Marathon Oil received over 400 million, um, that hundreds of McDonald's operators received hundreds of millions, uh, and their rivals are fuming, I'm sure. Uh, oh yeah, there, there's been a whole lot of graphs uh, associated with that first round of COVID relief. I don't know if you recall, but there was a half-trillion-dollar sludge fund created for corporate relief that was administered at the sole discretion of the president. Yes. Half-trillion dollars. He and I'm sure himself, this money you're talking about, this is some of that money. He calls himself the, uh, the overseer. <laughs> does he, does he but, understand the well, I think the deal-maker is on his way out now. He's turned the stomachs of the people... Every word is incoherent, and he just projects his own mental vacuity on Biden. 
it's a shameful, a shameful time, a very dark time for us. Uh, so uh, hopefully there will be a regime change. We, we have to be hopeful. We can't be negative. The, the other point I wanted to make was that economics seems to be a, a religion or a creed more than a discipline, and that the, the infinite, the, the invisible hand, which was only mentioned two times by Adam Smith, gives the economy uh, an unquestionable religious character. What do you think of that? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. the same as when I talk about the invisible God, really. Oh, yeah, I think, I think that is a really apt uh, comparison, Collar. I, the, the way that free market fundamentalists, and I use that word deliberately, adhere to their beliefs, it's, it's dogmatic, right? Uh, cutting taxes on the rich is always good, regardless of how the larger economy is performing. Uh, cutting regulations on business is always good. It, it's dogma. It's not rational doctrine. It is dogma. There's no need for job creation, for living wage jobs, right? Or for planning, for helping the environment, for, for uh, actually we are, jo Joseph Stiglitz said that um, standard economics is wrong, that inequality and um, any unearned income kills the economy. That's a very good perspective. Uh, and. He's written so much, of course, he's critical, and therefore he's totally marginalized. But we, we need to remind one another, you know, and, and, and really uh, develop a, 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 a post-capitalist uh, critique. No, I think you're right. And, and that marginalization is taking place even as uh, he and his, and his uh, cohorts have won a Nobel Prize. I mean, it's, it's obvious that the better minds within economics are now disavowing the assumptions that were made in the late uh, 19th century. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to thank, uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, please. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on the end of your call, but I was trying to uh, cut you off so we can let others have a chance before the end here. Uh, but I do want to note, before we move on to the next caller, that I think... Uh, what Mark just said is, is absolutely right. Uh, th there is no free market mechanism that would have delivered us to a place where we were prepared to deal with this pandemic at a time. The fact, yeah. that we have, the fact that we have propped up individualism and personal wealth to such an extent in this country means that we have abrogated uh, investments in public health and public infrastructure that we have needed to make for decades. And now, when we're in a, a multi-layered, overlapping crisis, we see just how ill-prepared we are to deal with any of this stuff. Go ahead. You know, it's absolutely true. It's, it's incredible to me that people are arguing, well, it's my right to go into a crowd of other people who are also crowded together, all of whom refuse to wear masks, because it's their God-given right to get the virus and spread it. Right. That tells me, uh, although these people uh, know likely... Uh, these people in all likelihood esteem freedom over all other virtues. I would say if they're behaving like that, then they really have no concept of what freedom is actually about and what it actually means to practice. But anyway, uh, let's go to John before the end here. Good morning. Good morning. I'm not a very good history student, but I did learn a couple things about history. Uh, in the last year, I saw some film about uh, women's suffrage, and, and there was bombing in involved, and and I think it was probably more more or less uh, detrimental to the to the public image. But uh, then I heard then I heard something more recently that uh, the British left India not just because of Gandhi's efforts, but the Sikh religion are kind of like a warrior uh, type uh, not class, but uh, they tend to be more warrior than uh, say the Hindus. And so uh, the, the Sikhs sent the British packing, um, maybe equally with Gandhi's efforts. And I've never even yeah, I don't know if that's true. I, I don't know enough about the, uh, the Indian struggle to, to comment on that at all. So you're bringing in at the end here something that I would, I'll try to research uh, between now and the next show. All right, Colin, did you have anything else to add? 
Uh, we okay. do have Karen needs to slip something in about following black leadership in a struggle for black uh, equality. Go ahead, Karen. You're live. Karen, good morning. Yeah, hi. Yeah, I, I think it needs to be said, I didn't hear it said, maybe I missed it, that when you're talking about what do we do and how do we get this response organized and so on, it's all about what do African Americans want us to do as allies or accomplices? How do we be in service to this movement? And it's not about us being right. And and the as for Lady Godiva, I noticed that Reverend Mondanay, head of the NAACP here, and Reverend Sharpton uh, both talked about the spectacle of whiteness and so forth. And the, look, I don't care whether she appears naked. I, I like Lady Godiva, but but. Uh, what I care about is that African Americans don't feel insulted, especially those who are of a more religious bent. So we need to work with people and with people, not think we're in the leadership. And the moms, the wall of moms, um, did get to that point where they got that message. And that's what I think we all need to get. This is such a simple point, but it is so fundamental. Thank you so much. Have a great day, guys. Thank you for the call. Yeah, yes, that's yes, a really yes. good call. And I think yes. it's a good call to end on, if I may say so. Yes, white people. Is about, this is ultimately about the liberation of people who have been semi enslaved ever since they were so, so called freed. I mean, this really is a fundamental struggle of that's great absolutely liberty. right. Yes. So, white people, you need to resist the urge to put yourself at the center of everything and follow the lead of black voices in this movement. Support. Say the two white guys on the air. <laughs> yeah. Say the two white guys on the air. Listen to black voices. Support them. Follow them. Aid them. Do not co-opt what they are doing. That's my advice. Okay. Me too. <laughs> I want to thank everybody who took part in the conversation today. You uh, keep us honest and keep us on our toes. And really, the show would not be anything near what it is without your contribution. So we really appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well, right. uh, this has been. Hey, I want to say this: the struggle is continuing. It's worth doing, even when and sometimes we are critical of it. What we are saying in the main is this is a necessary. You are tuned to listener-supported community radio KBOO Portland. A very significant part of the relationship between the human cancer and COVID-19 is that the terrible inequities of the human cancer amplify